0: Thank you for listening to this sermon by Grace Point Church. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at gracepointaz.com or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday morning. Good morning, Grace Point Church. Thank you so much for being here. Would you stand with me as we read through God's Word? If you'd like to follow along with the reading and you need a Bible, they can be found in the seat backs in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please take this one with you. Or if you know someone that needs a Bible, please take this one and give it to them. We'd love for you to have God's Word in your hands throughout the week. Today's scripture will be taken from the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 through 16 and can be found on that Bible in page 976. Follow along with me as I read. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that he who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, or for you, remembering you in my prayers. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. God, I just pray that you would uh, just bless Jason as he brings the message to you. guys. I, I, I do thank you that uh, just having been predestined, God, you know us, you know our struggles, so I just pray that you would uh, just allow us to hear Jason's word this morning in a way that would encourage us, bring us hope, and uh, and take us throughout our week. Thank thank you for all this. Pray for in your name. Amen.
1: I don't know if you ever need um, a good reason to get happy or to get glad, or if anybody ever told you, you know... You're in angry pants and you can get happy in the same pants. You know, like I get told that sometimes. I tell people that sometimes, but what I've noticed is it never helps um, to tell someone that. But uh, a buddy of mine was out to see me uh, this last week and I didn't put him on blast or anything. He was here and I thought I might find a way to embarrass him in the sermon and I just couldn't figure it out. Um, but uh, he's back home now, but we were laughing. He said, Man, you're just happier now. You're like, you're just a better guy to be around. When I first came out to see you, like, oh, I didn't even know if you should be in ministry, like a pastor anymore. It's like, really? He's like, yeah, you were so cynical of people. Like, you thought everybody was trying to get you, or you know, was get something from you, and and you know, like, people were scary to you. I was like, really? And then I was remembering, like, oh yeah, I was. Uh, I moved here in 2014 to start our church, and I didn't know anybody. I knew like a pocket of people. There was uh, several families that wanted to start a church, I wanted to start a church, it was time to run, and we didn't know each other very well at all. And I was used to knowing people like since I was a baby, and then moving to a small town and knowing people for years, and. And so like I was operating out of weakness and tired and exhausted and having to be like, hey, are you a Christian? Do you want to count the money? You know, like, hey, like there was, there was no church. We had to make a church and had to trust people. And so uh, there were times that I needed to remember, like, I'm not first a church planter. I'm a child of God. Like I'm not a soldier primarily. I'm also a son. I don't know if you ever relate to the Lord that way, where you kind of feel like your relationship is summarized by what you're doing in his name, and you're not really, maybe you're not healthy, and you're not living from the name that he's given you. So before we get into verse 11, I just want to back up a little bit to what Paul tells us is true about who we are, not just what we do. Like We are human beings, not human doers. And I think it's, it's important to remember that even as we are sons and daughters of God, this is how we relate to him first as sons and daughters, not as church planters and kids' men teachers and, you know, uh, you know we have um, security, you know, like bouncers for Jesus or whatever, whatever it is that we're doing, like primarily he's given us an identity And so he told us last week that uh, he gives this description of the supernatural that's outside time and space, like what God had on his mind as he's making all things. Then there's like the natural order of how things work through human choice and uh, evangelism and that sort of thing. But, But what Paul tells us is if you are a Christian, and I know many of you are, and some of you in a room this size probably are not yet, and hopefully by God's grace you want to be, but if you are a Christian, what we learned last week is that before time existed, outside of time and space, God chose you to be a Christian. He chose you to be his. That means he wants you, like he desires you. He doesn't just put up with you. He's not just enduring you. He doesn't just sit there and wish you would stop talking like dads we do at the game is on. Our kids are like, that's when they want to show us the thing they drew at school that's been crumbled up in their backpack for a month. Oh, I remember. Look here. You're like, the cowboys are playing the Niners, you know? Like dad, God isn't with us. Like, like He's He's invested in us. He desires us. He wants to be in fellowship with us. It was His idea. Okay, so we learned that we were chosen by him. Uh, we've been redeemed by Jesus. What that means is that we've been made innocent by merit we're guilty of what I like to call cosmic treason. Uh, you may think of sin as just mistakes you've made and you've learned from your mistakes and you're a better person because of all the screw-ups in your past. And I would say that's, that's wisdom living, that's good, but learning from your mistakes doesn't make you innocent. You're still guilty, you're just brighter, Okay. So before God, when we break any of his commandments, we have crossed a boundary that we can't go back from. And we deserve to be judged because of our sin, judged by our sin and judged by God and receive eternal hell. And so the good news is that Jesus entered human history, lived in our place, died in our place and raised from the dead so that we could be redeemed He took the evil things we did, the foolish things we did, even the wise things that we did with a guilty heart and he's redeemed those things and made us innocent. So in the throne room of heaven, when you put your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you were declared innocent even though by your works, your deeds, your thoughts, your words, you were guilty. And so there was this transition, there was this transformation and a transfer of a verdict where you went from guilty to innocent. You were redeemed by Jesus. So that means that you don't have to try to be a better version of yourself to get God to love you. He loves you through Jesus. Now live from who he says you are. And we're going we're gonna to work on that today. <clears throat> we also learned that we've been adopted as sons and daughters. We've moved from being enemies of God, judged because of our sin. And he could have just made us like hired hands. He could have said like, hey, now here's a, here's a field, plow it, you know, plant stuff and, and grow. You can live here. Uh, you, you won't have to, to die because of your sins. You can live here like this. That would be merciful, but he gives us grace. Instead, he says, here, you sit at my table. You eat my food. You drink my drink. You're, you're my son. You're my daughter. You're, you get the same inheritance as Jesus. That's what we're gonna talk about today is this inheritance that's coming. The other thing that we learned is if we are his sons or daughters, God is prepared and has a plan for every single thing that has happened to us and every single thing that we've done. And so what tends to happen is we kind of have two, for every mile of highway, there's two miles of ditch. That's one of my favorite metaphors. And the two ditches will be free will or fatalism. And the way we relate to the Lord and his sovereignty sometimes. Sometimes we say free will, which means God's limited in sovereignty and not really in control. He's kind of bound by whatever decisions that we make. It's kind of like the end of Elf whenever we all have to sing Christmas songs so that the reindeer can fly, right? And so it's like we need to be good people, make good decisions so that God can have a good name because his reputation's kind of bound up in our, in our, our free will, And that's kind of, that's in the ditch. That's not in the Bible. The other one would be fatalism, which would say whatever happens is exactly what God wanted to happen. So if I commit adultery, God willed it because if He didn't want me to do it, He wouldn't have let me do it. So some people believe like that's fatalism. And so what we actually see is sovereignty and human responsibility, that God sovereignly made a world in which there's choice. We can make wise decisions, we can make foolish decisions, we can make evil decisions. And so if you're one of his kids, then he redeems the evil things that you've done and he will redeem that and use it for good in some way in your story and in the story of others who are his. If you've done foolish things, then the foolish things you've done will be redeemed and used for for wisdom. And the wise things that you did. He'll use that to edify others. Others have meant evil against you. And what we learned is if God has a plan and like whatever choice we make, that he's going to work through those choices, uh, then the things that happen to you. He promises that all things will work together for the good of those who love God, those called according to his purposes. That harmonizes with what we've learned in Ephesians, that when stuff went really wrong in your life and evil was thrown at you, God promises in ways you may not yet understand, even on this side of heaven, that he'll promise to use that for his good. The Bible doesn't say God did evil to you. The Bible says God wrote a story in which evil could happen to you, but he promises that it won't have its last day. That as your life has broken into a million pieces, the hope of the gospel is one day heaven will come to earth and he'll put every piece back together like it's supposed to be for his kids. Okay? Okay. For his kids. So that being said, that we're chosen in Him, we're redeemed by Jesus. We've been, we're made family. So like we're we're tight. And then also, He has a plan for everything that could happen to you and everything you could choose to do Um, in Him. In verse eleven, when He says in Him, I want you to think about Noah in the ark during the flood. That Noah was spared from God's wrath. Noah's family was saved from the water. Uh, We are in Christ, which means we'll be spared from condemnation. Now you may be like naughty, you may not be very good at obeying and worshiping the Lord, so you may have a lot of consequence going on in your life, like a good old-fashioned spiritual spanking, so that you will walk in wisdom instead of uh, folly or evil, but God will not condemn you. He'll never send you to hell for your sins if you're in Him. So in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. Now, the inheritance that Paul is talking about is the new heaven that's on its way. We call it the kingdom of heaven. Uh, You might hear me call it the the already, but not yet. And here's an example of that. When Jesus lived and walked on the earth, he would heal the sick. Uh, There was a guy named Lazarus who was raised from the dead. He would preach and people by faith would believe what he says. So there was uh, this family being made. Uh, you know, people repenting of their sin, turning from their sin, believing what Jesus had said, uh, and there was uh, economic restoration, relational restoration, physical healing, and all of this is a foretaste of what 's to come, of how the world will be when Jesus comes. Uh, so, for example, how many who is the chef or the cook or the chief microwaver in your house? You all eat out, huh? Oh, a couple of you. All right. How many of you taste, taste the groceries while you're making them for everybody? I wanna make sure everything's good. Yeah, yeah, so it's a foretaste of the meal that is to come. So you taste on it, then when you sit down, you feast on it. And so, uh, so for example, um, there's a story in the Bible, one of the most wild stories is, on, is about Lazarus, one of Jesus' best friends who dies. Jesus is off at work, he's on a work trip, and he finds out Lazarus had died, so he takes his sweet time coming back home And as he's coming home, the sisters run out to meet Jesus, and they're giving him the what for. Do y'all get that? If I say you got the what for, do you know what that means? Giving him the business, you know, the business end of a buzzsaw a little bit there. And so they're basically griping and saying, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. He's been dead for three days. Like he stinks now. And so Jesus says, get out of the way. He goes in there, he calls Lazarus to come forth. Now I want you to think about this from Lazarus' perspective. Lazarus is with the Lord and the Israelites would have called it Abraham's bosom. He's in heaven, he's in the presence of, of God and Jesus goes, Lazarus, come back. And he's gotta be like, are you kidding me? Like I, I got sick, I died, I had this body that fails and okay all right here I come and so he they unbind him from all his wrappings and everything and it was such a weird miracle that when the government found out about it they're like oh we got to kill that guy the guy who is dead and is now alive yeah let's find him and kill him so then Lazarus is like, my gosh, which is it? Do I, do you know? So, but the point is, is that his res- resurrection he experienced was a foretaste of the ultimate revel- resurrection that's on its way, that even though they prayed and Lazarus raised from the dead, uh, we will not escape the ultimate death, that we're going to die uh, unless Christ returns first and glorifies our body. And so that being said, some of you have tasted a foretaste Of what's to come. The inheritance is when heaven comes to earth, evil goes to hell forever, all things that went wrong are made right, and we'll live forever in this great economy under King Jesus. I get asked about every four years uh, if I'm Democrat, Republican, or you know, independent or libertarian or, or whatever. And my honest answer is, and I know it seems like I'm escaping, my honest answer is I'm a monarchist waiting on a king. And I don't mean England. We you know, I blow stuff up on the 4th of July, just like you do, eat red meat, I'm all about it. But my, my chief citizenship is that of heaven. I have a dual citizenship, but not a dual identity. I'm a son of God because of Christ. So that's where my, my deepest loyalty lies is in the throne room of heaven. But also as an American, I'm gonna vote wisely and all that sort of stuff, but that's really where I'm at because I believe I have an inheritance that's coming. In some ways, it's already here, but in the ultimate way, it's not yet here. So he says, in Christ, we have obtained this inheritance and we've been predestined, a predetermined destiny according to the purpose of of God, Christ, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that's the idea of everything that's happened to you and in all the ways you will happen to others, you cannot out-choose the way God will work through your life, he'll redeem. Ultimately, God will get his way and he'll use human choice to do it. He'll use human responsibility to bring about his sovereign purposes. And if that makes your mind bend and want to explode, it's supposed to. It's supposed to do that. So all these things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. What he means by the first to hope in Christ is in the the beginning of the church was Jewish Christians. These were people who grew up with a rabbi and a synagogue, and they didn't eat pork. I don't know how they had breakfast. It's crazy. <laughs> but they had pictures of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob on their walls. They they didn't, you know, live like the gentiles. They were just completely different and set apart. Then Jesus shows up and they and he says like I am the true and better priest. I'm the true and better king. I'm the true and better prophet. I am the sacrifice. All all of the Old Testament is summed up in me. I have fulfilled the law. And so guys like Paul, Peter, James, John, they looked into Jesus and goes, he's my sabbath. I can weed eat on a Sunday if I need to because Jesus is my Sabbath. My Sabbath is him. He's my rest. Jesus is the fulfillment of the dietary law. He didn't eat pork, so I can. You know, praise God. Let's have some bacon in the name of Jesus, right? Like he is the fulfillment. He accomplished righteousness and he gave it to you. So you get credit for everything he did right. He takes the blame for everything you did wrong when he went to the cross, so that was the inheritance and and Paul saying So in him, we, as the first people to become Christians, then he pivots. Isn't pivot such an overused word? Like since 2020, you gotta pivot, pivot your business, pivot this, pivot that. But it did pivot and it moved from, we all move to Israel and don't eat bacon and go to synagogue on Saturday and have an animal that we give the priest to sacrifice on the day of atonement every year. Like everything moved to where Christ was the sacrifice because of his unblemished life. He raised from the dead, he ascends into heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit, to anyone who would believe that he raised from the dead and lived in their place and died in their place and he made them the church. So then the church isn't one place on the earth, it goes to all nations. We are a sent people, we are called to go so that, so that there could be in him we becomes and also in him you That there's this transfer, there's this conduit, there's this flow of the kingdom of heaven working through the first century apostles, through the disciples, all the way into Surprise, Arizona, to where we have a church called Grace Point Church. And then we get to say, in him we obtain this inheritance, and in him you will have it as well. And how will you have it as well? When you heard the word of truth. Now, before I move on any further, I wanna back up to the thing that you probably, some of you, if you're like me, came here to like, hey, don't you just skip over predestination. I wanna hear it, buddy. I wanna hear it. I wanna know if I need to be mad at you or I wanna know if like, yeah, we read the same books. Here's what I wanna say about predestination. Predestination harmonizes with human responsibility and God's sovereignty. If you let go of either one end of that rope, you're into heresy. You're either in ultimate free will. And what I mean by ultimate free will would be like, you could decide things outside of the time and space and seasons and the way God made the world. You know, uh, like you're a uh, Angel, I guess. Is that still a thing? Does anybody even know who that is? Boy, I really, was that a whiff? Or who knows who Chris Angel is? Okay, you get it. Y'all been to Vegas. Anyways, so what am I talking about? Predestination, so here's how to use it. Here's how to use the tool, the doctrine of predestination. It works best looking back in your past. It is a set of binoculars. It's a way to see the world to where you can see God's providence, where he is providing for you. So you look back in the past when you were lonely and you realize you made a move. And that move, you got a part of this church and you had community and you can go, oh, that wasn't coincidence. God did that. And maybe you had secret sin and you got caught. And at the time it felt like, I'm gonna lose everything. And then then through years of accountability and brotherhood or maybe sisterhood, you begin to live healthier and you walk in repentance and there's more joy and you're, you you met your spouse through a turn of events like when I was a kid I, we moved to a new town I didn't want to go well that's when I met my friend Josh I told you about we've been friends since we were kids then we were are going to move back to my hometown I didn't want to go and then that's where I met my wife and we've been married for years you know like it's like oh you look back and see providence and the present predestination feels like coincidence how many times have you been like yeah well you're just talking about someone you go We were just talking about you. Hey, where have you been? You know, like there's things that you'd been praying for a job and somebody goes, hey, we're starting a new thing out in Western Phoenix. Are you interested? Like, whoa, like Siri's listening on me, you know? Well, the Holy Spirit is listening in on you. And it feels like coincidence, but it's providence, Now, we like it when the happy happens, but providence happens through the crappy too. Everything that's happening right now in your life, providentially, God is caring for you and redeeming. He's not making evil happening, but he's rigged it to where evil can happen to you, but he promises that all things will work together for your good. So in the past, you see providence. In the present, you're gonna be tempted to call it coincidence, but in the future, some of y'all just get real weird, okay, with predestination. And here's where you get weird with predestination. We are all called, if you're a Christian, you're called to two great mandates that we find in the scripture. One we find in the Old Testament, the other we find in the New. In the Old Testament, it's called the cultural mandate where God tells Adam to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. So if you're a parent, you've told your kids, go do that to your bedroom, subdue that sucker. You know, It's a wild bronc, it needs to be tamed, okay? But that's what he told us to do with the world. Here's where confidence in providence turns into arrogance, If God wants me to have a job, then somebody will call and offer me a job. If God wants me to work, then somebody will walk down into my mom's basement and knock on my door and say, are you interested in a management position? That's not how God made the world, okay? So that's arrogance. That is taking something that's good that God's given, you're distorting it and bending it around yourself. Predestination doesn't work that way. It works through build a resume. That's the predestined way God has chosen to work in your life. Uh, Put some people on there who can say kind things about you, okay, Uh, and then send it off. And then actually, here's how it works best. Ask a buddy who knows of a job to hand it in to somebody for you. You'll get a phone call back, go in and interview well, and that's how God works, I told you last week, it's all tomato plants, but I'm not gonna explain it again. Uh, but here's how it gets weird with the um, missionary mandate. Everybody who's a Christian, God has called you to be a proclaimer of the word of God. Not all of you are gonna be church planners and wear plaid and stand on a stage and preach sermons. But all of us are supposed to know people who are not Christians and ask them if they want to be Christians. All of us are, are called to do that. And here's where predestination gets weird. And it becomes arrogant in your life. Well, if God wants to save people, well, then he'll save people whether I tell them or not. Dummy. That's not the way God, was that too hard? Uh, I love you, repent. Um, <laughs> The way it works is, no, you tell people the good news of Jesus, and they'll believe it or not believe it. And they may believe it on their deathbed. They may believe it like right before the execution, like the thief on the cross. You don't know who the elect are. So what that should cause you to do is tell everybody because Jesus will save anybody. Like, I don't understand how this doctrine or this idea or these verses in Scripture could lead us to paralysis. This should lead us to action. Like, we have the whole force of heaven behind us when we go to work, when we raise our families, when we build our marriages, when we ask people to follow Jesus. You have the weight and the hounds of heaven released before you and behind you. Why in the world would you sit on your backside? I can't understand it. But, whatever. Anyway, that's how to use it. That's how you use this doctrine. If you look into the future and get weird, don't do that. Repent. Be confident as you step into the future. Make decisions. Start that business. Hire that employee. Build a family. Um, ask. Maybe you want to be an elder. Tell, tell us you want to be an elder. Like, Just move forward. Tell someone about Jesus. Invite that person to Grace Point Church. Just go do, and all these things that God has told us that are true are happening in your life as you do these things. And so... And now he gets it back into the natural order of things. Here's our experience with the gospel. Paul's told us, hey, God, before he made time and space, knew you, made you, chose you, yada, yada, yada. And if you're like me and you're like, I can't understand that, that's okay, because now he gets, you know, to you know, baby talk. Uh, by the way, I did that one time in a sermon and the tech team clipped it. And so somewhere out there is me going, and I just gave them more. I don't know why I do this to myself. Anyways, but here's how you experience predestination. Here's how it is experienced. And here's how you live it out. In him, you also, in Christ, you also. This is how it works. So someone gets it before you, and then they share it with you. You receive it. Then you go share it with someone else. They receive it. You share it with someone else. They receive it. And when you heard the word of truth, the gospel which is good news, not good advice, the gospel of your salvation, the good advice of your salvation would say, hey, don't cuss, don't drink, don't smoke in public. I don't know what they were where you grew up. That's Oklahoma stuff right there. Like you, if you're gonna have alcohol, there needs to be a fridge in your garage and you drink it out there where no one can see you. I guess, I don't know if that ain't even funny to you. Maybe you're like, I feel seen. You know, I don't know. But you're supposed to change so that God will love you. That's religion. Hey, you're really bad. You need to become really good. You do these things to get God to be impressed with you. But the gospel says that you've been saved. You move from guilty to innocent because of Jesus. And so it's not by behaving rules. It's by believing that Christ lived in your place, the life you failed to live, died in your place, the death you deserved to die and raised from the dead. And so you heard the word of truth. You heard the gospel. And so, and and believed in him, and you were sealed with the promised um, Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So, how do people become Christians? By hearing the Word of Truth, which is God's Word, and God's Word holds the gospel. The gospel is Christ uh, lived in your place, died in your place, and raised from the dead. And He gives His Holy Spirit to anyone who would believe in Him. If you've believed in his life, death, and resurrection, you've been transformed and you've been saved. And the Holy Spirit is this guarantee, this down payment to prove to you that that kingdom is on its way. But right now the person of God is with us while we wait for the world to ultimately change. And all of this is to the praise of his glory. So God's sovereignty plus human responsibility to proclaim the gospel will lead to lives being changed by Jesus And what you believe about these things will deeply impact the way that you will will share the gospel with people. So, for example, there's a more Arminian way to see scripture that would say, or uh, soteriology, and soteriology is just the study of in that moment someone gets saved, how it works. And some would say, like, uh, we're all in the ocean, drowning, flailing our arms around, saying, help! You know, we're like Jack, you know, on the side, on that door on the Titanic. There was room for him up there, by the way. I don't know if you anyway but you're in the water you're you're flailing around and by the way if this is what you believe we're cool okay we're cool and and you and you might believe jesus throws a life raft out to those people who say give me a life raft okay you ultimately believe that jesus is the one who saved you and you just see your choice was a really big part of what happened that's fine Another way to say it, see it, would be a little more reformed, or the word might be Calvinistic, but I'm slow to use those words because of how loaded of a term that might be for you. But that perspective would be more so like, no, you were at the bottom of the ocean, drowned, dead, no pulse, and Christ came down and gave you life and breathed life into you, and you responded, Siri quit it, and you responded, to what his work was in your life. And of course you chose, you responded by choosing him. Now, I, that's more so where I'm at. If that's not where you're at, we're cool. I hope we're still cool if, that, if, if you know that's where I'm at. So that's where I'm at. But here's the implications of what you believe. So, so, so when I was growing up in Oklahoma, I didn't even know that there was like, Soteriology. I just thought we we're supposed to freak people out or argue with people until they finally said, fine, I believe what you believe, leave me alone. That's what I thought we were supposed to do. So every year about Halloween, we would do this thing called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. Who knows what I'm talking about? Who, who gets down? Like if this is you, like we're cool, that's fine. But here's what I experienced. Like there would be like one church in town would host the thing, we'd all go, and, uh, and it would be a play. And all the youth groups would go to it and one youth group would host it. And here's how the play would go that it was prom night and, and at the end of prom, all everybody went to the party and all the football team got drunk and they were driving home and this sweet girl that was Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian, whatever church hosted the event, that's you know where she went to church. And so she was like a victim of, I don't have a ride, I guess I'll go hang out with the football guys. And so they're in a, a drunken state, they wreck and they die. And they realize, everyone's in the, in the car wreck, realizes, oh, we're dead. And then, like all these demons would come in, like you know, and then and then gra- drag the football players off to hell. They're like, no, no, I wish I wouldn't have done this. You know, it's just freaking everybody out. So we're all like, oh, I wet my pants a little. And so then the girl standing there by herself, and then the angels come in and like, well done, good and faithful servant. You sippeth no beer, and then brings her into heaven. And then the the. Yeah, I'm not, some of you who, you, who knows what I, have I been wrong yet? I'm not, I haven't been wrong yet. So then the curtain comes back and the preacher comes out and he's like, who wants to go to hell? And everyone's like, not me, not me. Who wants to go to heaven? Everybody raises their hand. Repeat after me. Oh, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Show me how to live. And then they baptize all of them the next Sunday. Now, I'm just willing to say, maybe not all of those conversions were legit. Maybe some of them were just freaked out because they saw Freddy Krueger, right? That's all I'm saying. So, so when, I, we, when we were um, uh, assessed to plant the church, we went through three assessments and, um, and passed all of them. But in one of them, they asked me like, what is your strategy for how you're gonna grow the church? And I said, it's gonna be through gathering and scattering. We're gonna gather together, the Christians that we do have. We're gonna break open God's word. We're gonna be open with our lives. We're gonna open our Bibles we're going to have a list of people we built a name of a, a list of 100 names of people that were dechurched and unchurched who were not living as Christians and we were going to hold each other accountable to invite them to this thing like do you want to be a part of the church and the and the question we started the church on was do you want to be a Christian and the guy looked at me and he's like that won't work I was like well I don't know what, what do you you want me to do? I said, that's how it worked in the book of Acts. And, And here's what he was hoping I would say. And this is okay. I got no problem with this. I just can't do it. It's just not in my DNA. But it would be like, hey, let's have a block party. Let's put out a bunch of inflatables and food. And everybody comes and we get their email and we build this database. And we just keep having these events and getting them to come back. And and that's fine. And then eventually, like, hey, we're going to launch on a Sunday and we're going to give away flat screen TVs and, you know, we're going to bring out circus people are going to juggle and, like, swallow swords and throw flame, like, whatever. Like, if you want to be entertained, I, I still I don't even think that's sinful. I'm just saying, I don't know how to do it. All I know how to do is do my best to be kind, confess my sin when I find it, turn away from it when it's there, and ask you, do you want to be a Christian? So typically, here's, here's how it goes for me I'll, I'll say, where are you from? because we're mostly from somewhere else. A lot of you are actually from here, and you're like OGs of Arizona, which is pretty cool. But uh, I'll say, where are you from? And somebody's go, oh, I'm from wherever. And I'll say, well, what do you do? And they'll say, well, I'm in software or tech or whatever. I think those are the same. Anyways, but they're like, whatever. And, and then they're like, so what do you do? And I'm like, gotcha, buddy. I'm a pastor, moved here from Oklahoma. And some t- only one time I had somebody go, well, I'm agnostic. And then the next thing, he was like, so what do you think about aliens and stuff? (laughs) Like, you think the disciples hid the body or where? Like, I'm like, no, you're agnostic. I want to watch the game. Like our boys played football together. Then anyways, the guy never did meet Jesus, but I was like, you told me to leave you alone. And now you will not leave me alone about me being a pastor. But that's my little segue. You figure out a way to not be weird, but normally talk to people and say, do you want to be a Christian? They'll either say yes or no. Now, if they say no, I ask, why? Why do you not want to be a Christian? And they may say, well, why do bad things happen to good people? Or this bad thing happened to my dad, or this bad thing happened to me, and I just can't get over it. And I will ache, my heart aches for that. And I'll say, well, can we talk about it again some other time or follow up later? Usually, they say yes. Sometimes people will say yes, right on the spot. What do I do? And I'll share the gospel with them, that Christ lived in your place, died in your place, raised from the dead, and... Can you believe in your heart that he raised from the dead, and do you want to live for him? And they'll say, yeah. I say, well, pray that, and in faith you're a Christian. Not like in fear of Freddy Krueger, but like in faith of God's word. So you read the scripture, share the gospel, and it says that people will be saved. And so that's called evidence of God's grace. Whenever we have, in Christ, we can turn into in Christ you when there's this story of conduit that the gospel's working in you, to you, but also through you into others' life. Paul says in verse 15, "'For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers.'" If it's not rooted in the word and rooted in the gospel, it may not be transformation, So you can be an informed person or a conformed person, but not yet be transformed. So for example, if you look into the future with arrogance and you use predestination as a way not to share the gospel and as a way not to send a resume, you're doing it wrong. And it might be a tell that you're not transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit you could be informed. How does an informed disciple happen? Your Bible is open, but your life is closed. You're learning about the scriptures. And could it be that what is deep, like people usually say, I want to go deeper. What if going deeper has less to do with where Cain got his wife and who the Nephilim were, and it has more to do with the scriptures knowing you more and more, and what little you do understand, you go and do and obey. What if that's the, deep? I say that like I don't know. That's where the deep end is. I do know. That's what, there's nothing more mature than faith and repentance. We got people wondering where did the neph- who were the Nephilim and they struggle with generosity in their life. Like generosity is laid out clear. You wanna argue over percentages and does it tithe or this or that, whatever. But we all know we need to be a generous people. Some people are generous when it comes to a wealth of information and stingy when it comes to loving other people with their money. So what's deeper, knowing the stuff or doing the stuff? It's doing the stuff. It's what the Lord tells us. To know what to do and to fail to do it, for them it is a sin, okay? So the other way would be a conformed disciple. Maybe you never read your Bible, you don't pray, but you have a friend who's really spiritual, mature, They're really a good dude or a good gal, and they love Jesus. And they have no idea really what's going on, but you'll go to them and ask them for advice, and they give it, and it's wisdom, and it works, and it's good. But the next thing you know, they're your mediator between you and the Lord. Well, what you need to do is confess and repent and let them be a mentor, but your mediator needs to be Jesus. That's where transformation is. It's the truth of the word, the the story of the gospel, and lives will be transformed when the Bible is open and our life is open. And the evidence of that is not just a love for ideas. It's not just a love for morals. It's not just a love for systems. It's not just a love for ministry philosophy and how we do church. It's a love for one another. It's evidenced by you have a deep affection for the church that you're a part of and you long to be with them. They're goofy maybe, they're weird, they vote differently, whatever, but that's your family. You've been adopted as family. And that's the people who's praying with me as I long for my husband to become a Christian, as I long for my kids to become a Christian, as I long for my coworkers to meet Jesus. We're the people living on mission together so that more people will be back with us next time to worship. We're not just trying to grow the church numerically. We want to make disciples to see people change. That's the essence of Grace Point Church. That's why we do everything that we do. It's rooted in that purpose. And so here's what I wanna do. Yeah, we're in the red zone. Let's land the plane. Here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna rip off Mr. Rogers. Who remembers Mr. Rogers? Yeah, O-E-T-A. Remember staying home from sick from school and watching that? That's that's when I, that's how I got down. Anyway, um, I saw him getting an award. And I'll be honest with you, a couple of years ago, who remembers Ricky Gervais at the whatever awards it was, he like ripped everybody a proverbial new one. It was awesome, I enjoyed that. But I'm gonna be on, honest with you, When I saw Mr. Rogers years ago up there, saying thing, it just it was the room changed. It was it's better than than um, insulting everyone. He just got up there and was like, "Isn't this a beautiful thing that the that we have received?" You remember him anyway. And then he goes, "What I want to do is take a few seconds." And he said, isn't it wonderful that all these people that are here today have had so many people who have poured into your life and have invested in you. And so, so many of us are here and we'll get awards today, but we're only here because of all of the people that invested in us. And he says, so what I would like to do is take 10 seconds right now for you to just acknowledge them and thank this before we have phones and all that sort of stuff. And so everyone thinks he's being, you know, just, you know, a metaphor. And he goes, I'll keep the time. And so for 10 seconds, he stands there and everyone's in tears. And then he says, you know, we're here because of them. And I'm not going to keep the time, but in the same sentiment, this week I want you to pause and reflect and like, who is the in him we led to in him you? Who is it that God worked through to get to you? This collision of what all is outside time and space that we're trying to understand but we know we have limited finite ability to understand it but it collides with the natural order of things that is the word of truth and the gospel and faith and the receiving of Holy Spirit. Somebody was the connector and caused a collision in your life to where your heart awakened and you were made new and you were made righteous because you believed Jesus gives it to you. You were forgiven because you believed Jesus died in your place for your sins and you were forever changed. A new desire, a deep love for the church, a love for others, and a hunger for more people to know Jesus like you know him. Who was that person or people or church Was it an artist who sang a song? Was it a pastor who preached a sermon? Was it a friend who said hard things to you? Where was it? How was it? And just honor them. If they're still living, send them a text, send them a message, thank them for being faithful to open the word and share the gospel so that you could believe. And then the second thing I want us to do is now think, who should you proclaim the gospel to? And what steps can you take to move in that direction this week so that you could long for, like cookies in the oven waiting for them to be done, so that you could long for to hear of their faith in the Lord and to see their love toward all the saints. Who are the people that you're longing for? Who can you go pray for this week? Who can you invite to church this week? Who can you share the gospel with this week so that you hope to see their deep love and affection for the saints, which is evidence that they've heard the word, that they've trusted in the gospel, and they've been transformed by him. Let's pray.